Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Little girl looks at her mother and father who've been fighting for as long as she can remember. She's six. They just fight all the time. It doesn't get abusive. It doesn't get violent. It just, it's those, those disagreements, those early marriage disagreements. Are you familiar with those? Oh, no? Oh, okay. Oh, okay, sorry. Oh, I'm the only one? All right, fine. Those. And um, she asked the question. Hey, D-Rock. Hey, Derek. Can you turn this down just a little bit, please? It's smoking hot. Thank you. Perfect. Better. Thank you. She looks at her looks at her mother and father and she says, "Why do you fight all the time? Why do you fight all the time?" It's a good question. And as we get older and more mature in our marriages, that should stop or should slow down. But there's a thing there. It's an innocent question, but there's a thing there. She can't understand. She can't understand the gravity of marriage. And dad gets down on the floor with her and he says, here's the thing. Someday you'll understand. Someday you'll understand. Because right now she can't know. She can't know. She can't understand that sometimes marriage is one of those things you have to fight for. Oh, does that mean we just get to ridicule one another and yell at each other? No, absolutely not. You have to continue to model Christ-like behavior in your marriage as well, even when you disagree. But does that mean we just let stuff go to the wayside? It's broke. We just leave it broke. No, and sometimes that means we have to work hard to fix it. But she can't understand that. You also also hear that same phrase when one of your your young ones comes to you and says, "Can can uh, can I go out with my friends and go do this this thing? And you're on board. You trust them. You want them to go. It's going to be great. They give you the where, we're going to go here. Perfect. They give you the why, this is the reason. Good with it. They give you the when, the date works. They give you the how, this is how we're going to get there. Perfect. Then they drop in the last one. Yeah. The who. Who are you going with? Now you're out. No. You had me. You got three of the four, four of the five right in there, but the who? No. Can't happen. Doors start slamming. But why? But why? And you say, someday, you'll understand. They can't know. They can't know. They cannot know. They don't know that, they don't know even that they don't know, you know? 
It's like the experience that you have as an adult, you see patterns in behavior in little kids or in young people. And you look at those patterns and you go, I've seen these patterns and I know what they turn into. And you can track it. But they don't know. This person is just fun. Oh, there's so much fun. I know about fun people. I know a lot about fun people. Some fun people just continue to have fun. Some fun people grow up, you know? The who? You can't go. Someday, I'm sorry, but someday you'll understand. Leave me alone. Works on the other side, too. If you've ever had a dream, an idea, something that just kind of hit you like lightning, like, I think I want to do this. I think this is what I'm going to do. You decide you're going to make some massive change in your life for whatever reason. You decide, you don't want to get a gym membership. I'm going to start doing this thing. I'm going to do it right. And the people around you are like, come on, how long are you going to stick with that? Like, what, three weeks? What, three days? Really? You think you'll ever go? Really? Like, no, I'm doing it. I'm going. It's a business. I'm going to start my own business. I'm doing this thing. I'm kicking this thing off, and I'm going to do this thing, and I'm so excited about this thing. Okay. It's like the guidance counselor at the school. I don't know if you remember those days, if you had those days where you go down there at your turn, your senior year, and you got to tell them what you're going to be when you grow up, because you're 18, and you know, you know. It's the stupidest conversation you could possibly have. You're 18. What are you? Whatever. We can talk about that another day. Ridiculous. Going to ask this kid? Doesn't know anything, you know? Can't make three good decisions in a row anyway, and they're going to tell you what they're going to be when they grow up for the rest of their life? Come on. You're a guidance counselor? How about provide some guidance, you know? Anyway, you go down there and you tell them, this is what I want to be. And I've probably shared this with you before. The lady says, so Jerry, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I think, I think I want to go into ministry. I think. That was it's the first time I'd ever really had this conversation with anybody. I mean, other than my mom and dad. I think this is maybe what I want to do. And she looks across the desk and she says, oh, that's so wonderful. That is so wonderful. But what are you going to do for a real job? Well, I, I hadn't, planned on, hadn't planned on that not being a, a real job. I, oh, well, you probably need a real job, you know? Oh. Those moments when you get all amped up about a thing and somebody comes in with their fire extinguisher and tries to put, shh, going to make some change in your life and you go tell your husband, you go, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing this and this and this. And he's like, yeah, right. Bet you do. I'm losing 30 pounds by next January. Yeah, I bet you this 30 pounds. Fire extinguishes out all your ambition, tries to do that. When young people say to their mom, this is what I want to do, some new plan. And everybody kind of steps in. It's like, I don't think that's a very good idea. 
But you can't even put into words how convinced you are that this is the right thing to do. Like, you're convinced of it. And people want to say, no, 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 it's not a good plan, not a good plan. And you have to take that step where you just go, well, I'm doing it. And I hope, maybe someday, you'll understand. You see, it's not like you get the full picture. You can't get the full picture. You've got maybe a partial idea of what that is. Or maybe you see something from the outside, like the little girl. Why do they fight all the time? And you can't put into words why this happens sometimes. It's kind of like the prophets. The prophets in the Old Testament. Think about that. They don't even really get the whole story. One of my favorites is the story of Hosea. Hosea the prophet, he's the preacher, right? And listen to the strangeness of this. God comes to the preacher. He says to him, Hosea, he said, yeah, I want you to go get a wife. Hosea's like, excellent. And then God says, from the brothel. Come back <laughs> from the brothel. <laughs> That's what you said. You mean like somebody who used to be in a brothel but has since repented and has made their way differently, right? Go to the brothel. Okay. You know, there's a thing about being above reproach as a minister. You should probably not be seen doing certain things, even if they're not wrong and even if God tells you to, me standing on the front door knocking on, probably not a good go. Imagine what everybody on the street, oh, hi, good morning, Hosea. Hey, hey, hey Hosea, hey, preacher, can I stop by? Yes, yeah, stop by, stop by later. Just, uh, hey, hey, where's Hosea going? I don't get, what's he doing on that end of town? I Oh, he must be making a call. Where's he going with her? Well, this just got complicated, didn't it? Hosea goes home. God, what, is, what am I doing? He said, this is what I'm going to tell you. You're going to marry her. Okay. And what's that supposed to do? Well, obviously... It's going to show Israel what it's like trying to be their God. And this is the best thing you came up with. Like, this is the best. You just run my, na my name through the mud, you know? He doesn't even get the whole picture. It just gets this little piece. Do this, okay. And then it just gets worse from there. She won't stay home. She has babies, but she won't stay home. And then he's got to go back and get her. He's got to buy her back. God, are you serious right now? Go. This is exactly what it's like trying to love Israel. But just so promiscuous. <sighs> Take Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet. The one that's known for having these grand visions of the messiahship of this Jesus that's coming, the virgin prophecy. At one point, God comes to him and he says, Isaiah, 
take your clothes off. Okay, then now what? Get into town and preach. Uh, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Uh, can you imagine three or four weeks of that? Isaiah goes back to God and says, Hey, uh, I've been at this for quite a while. Can I please put some clothes on? And God says, No. But don't worry. You only have to do this for three more years. You kidding me? What is this supposed to do? I'm going to show Egypt and Cush exactly what's going to happen to them. They're going to get led away naked. Because <laughs> it's like, like, I had a real good thing going here, you know? And now I'm just like the naked guy, you know? Like, are you serious? Like, it's, I've been doing this so long, people don't even notice me. Any, do you know how weird that is? This is, you don't get the whole picture. Our passage this morning is Psalm 16. And I read it all week long. I appreciated all the text messages and the messages that you sent me. I got so many of them. I'm reading this one, I'm reading this one. I also got ones that were like, I'm reading this one. No, no, I'm reading this one. No, I changed my mind, I'm reading this one again. No, I like this one better. But I got a ton of those, so I appreciate that, and I hope it was a good experience for you. Um, so Psalm 16, I, I read this one this week. And at the beginning, I thought, oh, I've got a pretty good idea what this is about. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land... They are the glorious ones in whom is my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. My boundary lines have fallen in very pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I praise the Lord who counsels me, even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body also and will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And I read through that one this week, and there's so many things about it that I love. I love the passage to where it says that God comes and counsels him at night. That's such a good thing. I don't know if you've ever had your sleep disrupted on a regular basis. If you've had a thing that's just kind of weighed heavy on you or something that you just felt was just constantly just antagonizing you, just eating away at you. And you just keep yourself awake and you, and you don't mean to, but your sleep is disrupted. Man, when you finally get a little bit of peaceful sleep, it's as if God himself is just laying there beside you, just comforting you. What a great thing. 
And I looked into this verse right here where it talks about, and my heart instructs me. And what the verse actually says is my heart chastises me. So while my heart and my mind and my conscience begins to beat on me when I lay down at night, have you had that experience? To where your guilt weighs heavy on you? And it says that God steps in, moves that over, and then says, no, 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 no. I will counsel you. I will advise you. Begins to push back even me. Oh, what a great thing. And I read through these verses, and I love them. My boundary lines have fallen in very pleasant places. I like that one. I'll tell you why I like that one. Because I feel like my boundary markers have fallen in very pleasant places. I love what I do. I love the people I get to be with. I love the community that I live in. A lot of people complain about where they live, where they, where they work, who they're with, their friends, the people around them. I don't have any of those experiences. My boundary lines have fallen in very pleasant places. I'm very happy about that very happy about that. And I think to myself, I think I understand this verse. And then the more I read this verse, the more I begin to understand I don't understand this verse. Someday I'll understand, I think. Someday I'll understand. Because it seems to be a secret to this passage. And I didn't know that when I started reading it early in the week. I didn't know that. Once I begin to do more research on it, the m- I begin to see that this is not just a normal psalm because this is Psalm 16. It doesn't mean anything to you. This is what they refer to as the golden psalm. This is the golden psalm. You're like, okay, sweet. So it's first place? That's not what I mean. It's not gold. It's the golden psalm. This is, it's got something else to it. David's talking about stuff here that he really doesn't know about. But it does still preach. There's still plenty to talk about. Let me, let, me read a few of them. let me read a few of them off to you. If you're going to live the Christian life, you can find it in, in Psalm. Psalm 16, you can find it. Take a look at it. How do we pray? We'll take a look at verse one. Protect me. For it is in you that I find refuge. The word refuge is confide in. Now how sweet is that? Protect me. You know what that word is? This is, a sh- this is a shepherd word. This is how you keep sheep. It means you kind of stand there and you, you stand at the gate, you guard them, you whack them sometimes with the crook. Whack them. Hey, 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 hey. Get back in there. Protect me. Keep me where I need to be. Do you ever need that? Do you ever need that in your life? A shepherd kind of God who steps in, gives you a quick one right to the side of the head. Hey, oh, hey. Get back in. Yeah, sorry about that. I was wondering. I don't know where I was going. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other one, confide in. That's kind of nice. Confide. You know, someone you tell your secrets to? Someone you can take anything to? You want to know how you're supposed to pray? Just like that. Ask the Lord to mark the lines for you, to keep you in check, to shepherd you, and then confide in him all the things that are going on in your life. It's there. Here's another one. What kind of people should we spend time with as Christian people? What kind of people? Of course, we're evangelistic in our, in our message. Jesus told us, go out into the world and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. But if you spend all your time out in the world just with people who do not know Jesus, do you know what will become of you? I'll tell you the opposite. 
As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you are not with something that's going to push up against you and check you, something that's going to help heat you up and knock off the rough edges and make your edges a little sharper, if you don't have that, then you can't get better. You can't get better. And listen what this verse says. This is in, this is in verse three. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. Here's the word. They are precious. And here's, here's another, another uh, translation. They matter. They are noble and they matter. Do you have a group of people in your life who are noble and who they matter to you? Here's the third one. How do we view prosperity and success? Our whole world is chasing after prosperity and success. And if our whole world is chasing after that, they have a completely different mindset than we have, or they should have. What is the outlook? How do we see prosperity and success? How do we view that? Is it just the bottom line at the bank account? If that is the whole of your life and that is the thing you focus on, I have got some very, very, very bad news for you. Very bad news. It's going to be hard. There's going to be some other difficulties in your life. Jesus said it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom. And then all these things will be added unto you. How do we view prosperity in light of Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6? Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup, and you have made my lot secure, and the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. Do you hear how that is? You gave me, gave me, gave me, gave me, gave me. Our view of what money is and success is and what achievement is, is God did this for me. Did you have to work to get there? Of course you did. You had to do something. But this is the thing God has done for you. Do you view your life like that? Or is it just what you have is what you've accomplished? You're a self-made man. Is that you? Oh, dear me. That's ridiculous. If you think that, you're ridiculous. You know that? It's ridiculous. Because in a second, your air can leave. In a second, you can get injured. You, there's no security in any of this. God controls all of that. How we view success. He's the one who does this. He makes this thing happen. Do you view the things that are in your life through that lens? Some of that has to do with gratefulness. Some of that has to do with work ethic. Some of that has to do with ego. Some of it has to do with the fact that we just have to recognize that, you know what? I need to shift my mind from, I thought I did this. But you know what? God has put me in a good spot. He is, he is my portion. He is my cup. He has put this together for me. That's another way that, we, that we, uh, we view prosperity and success differently than the world. Here's another one. Where do we get our confidence? Where do we get our faith? Where does our, where does our faith and our hope come from? Verse 7 and 8, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The word is totter. I will not totter, as in teeter. I will not totter. The Lord will not teeter, and I will not totter. 
It's all going to be okay. Why? Because I don't need to worry about what's going on there. As long as I take God and I put him in front of me on a regular basis and he is there and I keep him always before me, how can I mess this up? I was talking to a guy the other day. Part of what it is, it's kind of like kicking a can down the road, you know? You just kick this can down the road in front of you. And so long as we take the Lord and we put the Lord in front of us and he's always in front of us, we can do it. We won't be shaken. He is with us. He is at our right hand. Where does our faith and our hope come from? That pride that we should have as Christians? I don't mean the ugliness. I mean the pride of like, I, I trust that God is going to do this in my life. I trust that he is there with me. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that I know so long as I keep him in front of me, I cannot personally be shaken. Does that mean he's going to iron out all my circumstances and he's going to be perfect in a perfect little world? Of course not. No. Not at all. But he's going to hold me together as I go through the storm. Last one, how do they proceed without fear? How do we continue to move forward when you know good and well your circumstances are not always going to change? Those terrible, oh, terrible, terrible calls those phone calls, those diagnoses, those things that you hear, those moments to where it just all comes crushing and crumbling down, and you think to yourself, this is going to be bad. Those moments when the relationship implodes, and you begin to feel that tension on the inside, like this is going to break, this is bad. Words begin to come out of our mouth. We begin to say things and we begin to make plans, negative plans about the future and how we're not going to spend time with each other. It's these terrible moments begin to just get bogged down with anxiety and beat to pieces. How do we proceed without any sort of fear? I can't remember who it was. <laughs> maybe, maybe Jerry Seinfeld said it. The two greatest fears in the world, the number one fear in the world is public speaking. The number two fear is death, meaning someone would rather die than give a speech. Like, which one do you want? Shoot me now. <laughs> like I do. <laughs> which is funny to me because people come up and they say things all the time. People who I think are very, very talented. I'm like, man, that's like, what you do is so, like, dude, I would never do your job. Never do your job. I'm like, like my, job's, my job's really easy for you, really easy for you. I would never do your job. I think I'd rather die. How do we proceed without fear? Knowing that death is coming. You realize that there's nobody who's gone before us who, get, who got to escape it, right? Like everyone has faced it. Like it's not like another line you can go in. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I would pray, oh, dear, I pray Jesus comes back before I die. I want Jesus to come back before I die. Why? Because I don't want to die. How do we continue to move forward without that thing just crushing us or freezing us? How do we move forward? Listen to what David writes. <clears throat> Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will rest secure, 
because you will not abandon me to the grave. The word is Hades. Not as in hell, as in seems to be this other waiting place. Not purgatory, but this other place. This, we're not in hell. We're not in heaven. We're in the land of the dead. This is the idea. You will not let your holy one see decay. Meaning I will not cease to exist. Like in this world, I will not cease to exist. My flesh may fall apart. But that isn't the end of my life. I think one guy said it this way. It is not life transferred from birth to life on the other side, the afterlife. What it is, is the way we have to, with kind of that death in the middle, we don't have to look at it that way. The way we look at it is life without God and then this moment to where we turn it into life with God. And now where we live it, it doesn't even matter. It's just our life with God. I'm going to have a relationship with him here and I'm going to have a relationship with him there. How do we move forward without the fear? Because David all of a sudden comes up with this thing that I will die, but somehow I will resurrect? Your spiritual antennas should be pointing up, you know? Like there should be a part of you that's like, why does this sound so strange, so familiar? Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. I want to read you something. I want you to begin to put this story together in your head. David is in the field. Maybe he's in the palace. Maybe he's up on the roof. Maybe he's on the battlefield. Maybe it's late, late at night in a tent and he's, he's, he's laying out there with all the soldiers. But whatever is going on, David is laying there and then all of a sudden something happens, a vision. Now listen, I can't prove this. I'm just, I'm just guessing. And he doesn't get the whole picture. He just gets a part of the picture. It's one of those things like you can't understand it all right now. Someday you'll understand. And David gets this picture, and what he begins to understand is, God has promised me that somebody in my line will be established as the king, and they will reign forever, and the kingdom will be forever, and it will endure forever, somebody in my line. But he can't fully understand that. He can't fully understand that. But God pulls back this curtain and begins to let him see somewhere into the future. Like a thousand years into the future. David gets to see a thousand years into the future. And he sees a man and he sees a woman. And maybe he sees him traveling to a place called Bethlehem. And maybe he sees a baby being born. And maybe he sees flashes of this guy, this kid growing up. And then maybe he sees the cross. And then he sees the death. And then he sees the resurrection. And maybe that's where all this is coming from. In light of that, what if we read that passage through the lens of Jesus instead of through the lens of David? Does it mean something different at that point? I think it, I think it does. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing as for the saints who are in the land. 
those disciples, those ones that have stuck with me, my church, the ones who show up on snowy days and icy days, them, the, you know the ones, the noble ones who matter. They're the glorious ones in whom is still my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods and I will not pour out their libations of blood or take it up, take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure and my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And surely, imagine Jesus saying this to his father, I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, literally. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body rests secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your holy one See decay. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And then you get to Acts chapter 2, and listen to this. This is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has just come on all of the disciples, and they're speaking in tongues, and they're praying, and people are hearing them in their own language. And then Peter says this. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among, uh, which God did among you through him. As yourselves know, this man was handed over to, over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep him. Verse 23, David said about him. The apostle Peter says, do you want to know what David said about Jesus? How did David come by this information? This was a divinely inspired thing. Listen to what it says. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. Do you hear what he's saying? What he's saying is this. David wasn't talking about him. David didn't write Psalm 16 about himself. He saw something else happen and he wrote it about Jesus. And he never even got to see it happen. That's pretty cool to me. David died and was buried in his tomb. It's here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. 
If you don't know who Jesus is, and you've never experienced the resurrection power alive inside of you, then you probably should have that conversation at some point. Because here's what you'll experience. The peace will, the peace will come. The hopelessness will go away. The discontent on the inside will begin to go away. The connections that begin to happen with other people and God will begin to grow stronger. You begin to understand who he is and what he wants from you and what he wants for you. And that's what he has done for us in Psalm 16. I like Psalm 16. It's the golden psalm. It's the one that tells us that David saw a thing in the future and he continued to move forward. If you don't know what the future looks like for you, we have to do the same thing. We have to hold to Christ. We're not always going to get the answers. You're not going to always get the full picture. Sometimes it's just a picture, just a part, just a piece. And we continue to march forward in faith knowing that he loves us, that he is there for us, and so long as we set him always in front of us, we cannot be shaken. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We ask that you will um, be with us today as we leave, Lord, that we will be uh, safe and you'll keep us safe on the roads. Uh, ask that as we go through this next week, Lord, that we can focus our hearts and our minds on you and what it is that you want from us. Thank you for everything you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon.